0: Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 7, Episode 20. In the last episode, I covered Shimron, Meron, Hormah, Arad, and Megiddo, almost making it completely through the list of places in Canaan the Israelites conquered and found in Joshua Chapter 12. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen, this week. I'm covering the last place left on that list, and providing the podcast's annual, meaning anniversary, update. And with that, let's get started. The last location on the list of places conquered by the Israelites, and listed in Joshua 12, is Libna, along with its king. While this place was first mentioned in Numbers as a stopping point for the Israelites, and assuming that place is the same as the one mentioned in Joshua. Either way, I didn't cover it then, saving it for this part of the biblical narrative. Not that this mention is much more. As for the reference in Numbers, given its position in the text, it suggests that the location, at least that location, was somewhere in the Sinai region, which would place it outside of Canaan and suggest the citation in Numbers is not the same as the one in Joshua. As for this one in Joshua, its name in ancient Hebrew means whiteness, as in the color. Actually, that would apply to both places. This one was likely in Canaan, thought to be in the west, near the coast. It would be in the territory allotted to Judah and would later contribute to the tax base, tax that may have been related to the trade that plied its roads. Later, and found in 2 Kings, Libna, along with Edom, would revolt against Judah, which at that time was being led by King Jehoram. Though, in this case, the narrative went into detail about Edom, and Libna was a bit of an afterthought from the text. Edom revolted against the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Joram crossed over to Zer with all his chariots. He set out by night and attacked the Edomites and their chariot commanders who had surrounded him. But his army fled home, so Edom has been in revolt against the rule of Judah to this day. Libna also revolted at the same time later in 2 Kings along with in a few other places in the Old Testament text Josiah the king of Judah married Hamutel daughter of Jeremiah of Libna two of the sons resulting from this relationship Jehoias and Zedekiah also became kings of Judah there is a potential connection between Libna in the passage in 2 Chronicles 32 and here Assyria attacks Judah. God intervenes and saves Judah from the Assyrians. In this case, it's been proposed that some of the fighting took place in Libna. But to be clear, this is found nowhere in the narrative, at least not in our translations. Ancient Jewish sources provide a little more clarity, but not much more. And there's a little found in the outside record. A couple of places have been proposed as the possible site of Libna. Both are Tells, no surprise there. One at Labnin, and the second at Zeta. Not much is known about either of these. Another place, Tilburna, was proposed by William F. Albright. This fortified archaeological ruin was between the Canaanite cities of Gath and Lachish. So in that regard, The proposed location works. And, the digs and finds have uncovered evidence that the city was occupied from the Middle Bronze Age and later. So, that works too. But the artifacts show something else. Until the Israelites won control, it wasn't just a normal city, but appears to have been a Canaanite religious center. After Judah took over, There haven't been any significant archaeological finds related to that period, which means there's nothing outside of the Old Testament. And that's Libna. Now for the five-year anniversary update. So, this is the 261st episode, which means the podcast, since it's weekly, and has published every week, is hitting its five-year anniversary. Like I've mentioned so many times before, I won't say that I never expected to get this far, or that I did. Quite frankly, when I started, I didn't know what to expect. It's just as true today as it was five years ago. I'll tell you one thing, though. I never expected that five years in, I would only be in the book of Joshua, though this time last year, I was just beginning the book of Deuteronomy, and that last book of the Pentateuch would take some 38 weeks to cover. While superficially, that may seem like acceleration, it's owing more to two similar factors. First, as the biblical text progresses, many of the people, places, and things have been previously mentioned, and therefore, I've already covered them. Except, of course, for all of these new places in Canaan. At least most of the rest of the Old Testament, and new for that matter, occurs in the same region, though many of the players will change. The second factor is that the history embedded in the text is slowing. As an example, think about the book of Genesis. That first book covers the history of the world, then region then the Israelites, until their arrival in Egypt, literally thousands of years. Exodus covers the 400 or so years the Israelites were in Egypt, and the first year or so of wandering, so just over four centuries. Meanwhile, the book of Leviticus is thought to cover a period between one and two months. Numbers and Deuteronomy provides a really condensed history of the 40 years wandering, In Joshua, just the lifespan of its namesake, at least that part after the Israelites crossed the Jordan. Taking all of this into consideration, and as the time pace of the books slows, the pace of the podcast increases inversely. Overall, and also like I've mentioned before, I intend for the podcast to be as thorough as necessary. My overriding goal is that my listeners can walk away learning not only something they didn't previously know, but can also apply it to their lives both inside and outside of the religion. And that takes time. I'm still hopeful that you found the delivery and content has gotten better as it progresses. I'm certainly more comfortable in all aspects, from the research to the writing to the recording, editing re-editing, and finally publishing. And in case you've missed it the other times I've mentioned it, this is not my full-time job. Instead, I manage to work the podcast in and around work and family obligations. The way my week goes typically, well, really, optimally, is reading and writing some on Monday and Tuesday. Ramping up Wednesday and Thursday, then the first draft is completed sometime Friday or maybe Saturday. Rereading and re-editing Saturday and Sunday, along with checking the pronunciation of the ancient names and places, and I'm going to pause here for a second. Very early on, I received some negative feedback regarding pronunciations, and the place that sticks out in my memory is Nineveh. And, I'll admit, I did initially mispronounce it. Which led to an additional step in the production process, the creation of a pronunciation guide. This is my most disliked part and can take up to an hour. But, thanks to the wonders of the internet, pronunciations of most of these arcane places and people are readily available. Though, do note that there are, in many cases, several acceptable pronunciations. My warning is that if I pronounce something differently than how you've heard it, it truly may be that I did mispronounce it. But more likely, it's that there's an alternate. Recently, someone wrote in and took me to task over my pronunciation of bitumen, which is essentially a fancified word for asphalt, the word we would use in modern conversation. But, bitumen is found in three separate instances in Genesis and Exodus. And, as you've noticed, I pronounce it one way. But it can also be pronounced bitumen, the British pronunciation. Neither is wrong. They are just different. Overall, I aim for a minimum of 3,500 words, no more than 4,000. Not including the intro and outro. As an example, the last episode was 3,947 words, just below the maximum. So, a little quick math shows that 261 episodes at, let's say, 3,700 words is in the neighborhood of 970,000 words, almost a million. And I'll cross that threshold sometime in the next couple of months. For perspective, The King James Authorized Bible has 783,137 words. The NIV has almost 728,000 words. I'm going to pause here, too. One of the things I really enjoy doing in the podcast is attempting to put perspective on ancient, misunderstood, or generally nebulous concepts. More on that in a minute. Unpausing. To think that, over the course of five years, I've written more words than can be found in the text of the Bible is utterly amazing. Please don't misunderstand. I am by no means comparing the depth nor quality of my writing to the Bible, just the volume. I used to print the script, then record, then recycle the paper. Now, I don't even print it, This year, I upgraded my laptop and can read from one screen while I record on another. The point I'm trying to make is that I've never accumulated all of the text of the episodes. But, to know that if it were printed, it would be larger than the size of the Bible is staggering. Back to the production process. If everything goes well, I'll record on Sunday afternoon. The first audio edit is Sunday, the second Monday, and the third and final is Tuesday. That's right, three separate audio edits. That's the most tedious and really the least rewarding part of the whole process, except for the dreaded but necessary pronunciation guide. Imagine having to listen to yourself over and over again. Next, I'll write up the one-paragraph summary and the keywords and submit for publication Wednesday evening. And, as astute as all of my highly intelligent listeners are, I'm sure you've noticed that my weeks overlap. And they do. I'm pulling double-duty writing and audio editing Monday through Wednesday. The necessity of good audio editing is something that surprised me. In order to get the sound consistent... And of sufficient quality. There's about two to three hours of editing that needs to occur for a 25-minute episode. Overall, the process is an intense, non-stop, seven-day-a-week task. A task that requires discipline and planning. My actual job used to require a lot of travel, at least before the pandemic. In 2019. I spent around 130 nights away from home. And I don't like to travel with my bulky microphone, if I can avoid it. So there are cases, many in fact, where I will work like crazy to get two or three weeks ahead. At least in the writing and recording, I can always audio edit and publish from anywhere, as long as I have an internet connection. But that carries a risk, If I totally mess up something in a recording and don't catch it in real time, I can be stuck away from my microphone with the publication deadline looming. That's the nightmare. Having said that, it's never happened in a manner that wasn't recoverable. I've never missed a weekly publication, owing more to discipline and luck than anything else. Like I mentioned, I used to travel about 50% of the time for work, and airplanes would make for good writing, as long as it's not terribly bumpy and the laptop is fully charged. I've recorded at my house, in hotel rooms, in the back seat of my SUV, and even while visiting relatives. I've researched and written in more places than I can remember, and spent time in cars, on planes, the subway, and who knows where else editing the audio. In the five years of the podcast, I've made three trips to Europe, one to Canada, another to Central America, and a countless number of states, cities, and airports, and always published, all with the usual family distractions, work distractions, personal distractions, and now the completely unexpected distraction of a worldwide pandemic. And with all of that, rest assured, next week and every week in the foreseeable future, I will publish. And about putting things in context, this is one of my favorite things. Think of the role the Sea of Galilee has played in the biblical text. Thousands of years, from before the Israelites crossed the Jordan to the walking on water, its role is larger than life. But how large is it? It's a sea, after all. Well, there are two ways to measure the size of a body of water, its surface area, and its water volume. This sea, the Sea of Galilee, has a surface area of 64 square miles, which is about 166 square kilometers, and its volume is almost a cubic mile, or about 4 cubic kilometers. And those numbers alone... Unless, by rare chance, you are a hydrologist, or really good at visualizing geometry, well, they're meaningless. So, I add context. If the lake were located in the U.S., in terms of surface area, it would be the 80th largest lake. Smaller than all of the Great Lakes, of course, but also smaller than lesser-known lakes, such as Lake Murray in South Carolina and Clear Lake in California. In other words, not all that remarkable. The Sea of Galilee fares better when compared in terms of volume, as it would be the 46th largest lake. Which points towards something else. It's deeper than the average lake in the U.S. And putting it in this context isn't merely trivial. My hope is that it helps make the sea. Well, really, Lake, more comprehendable, more real. I've tried to contextualize other things the size of the Tower of Babel, Noah's Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, the value of gold and silver, distances between points, attempting and hopefully succeeding in making the text more understandable and meaningful. Now for a few interesting tidbits. As of the last episode, the podcast has been heard in 194 countries with millions of downloads. This time last year, it was in 184 countries on six continents. Two years ago, it was in 163 countries. As of last year, it had been heard in every region of the U.S., except for a small area around Glendive, Montana but I picked up a couple of listeners there this past year. I finally gained a listener in Greenland, but it still hasn't been heard on Antarctica. I haven't given up on getting at least one listener there, if only so the map looks more complete. But it also isn't extremely surprising that I've had no listeners on that cold landmass since so few people live there. There are listeners in all 50 U.S. states and all Canadian provinces. Great Britain and Australia are also home to many listeners. No surprise there either, as the podcast is in English, and that's what they speak there. Although, not quite the same as my native tongue. Surprisingly, the podcast is usually ranked higher in Great Britain than it is in the U.S., It's been as high as number one in Great Britain and number five in the United States. That's still hard for me to believe. When I look at the rankings, which I rarely do, but when I do, it's frequently higher than many podcasts I subscribe to and highly enjoy and respect. I consider myself lucky. I have no clue how the rankings are determined and I rarely look and I couldn't have been any more amazed than I remain. There are a few surprising places where listeners are found, like Iraq, Rwanda, Indonesia, Syria, Malaysia, Cuba, China, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and a surprising number of listeners in Saudi Arabia. So many places where Christianity is by far a minority religion. It really speaks to the power of the internet. I end each episode with a request that you rate the podcast on iTunes. And you should really do this, especially if you can give it 4 or 5 stars. I'm not kidding when I say that the reviews help others to find the series. It really does. The quantity, ratings, and frequency of the ratings gain the Apple logarithm and cause it to rise in the search results, And the higher it is in the search results, the more people who find it. It's self-fulfilling. 720 of you have rated for an average of 5 stars. Wow, and thanks. I do get several frequently asked questions, and I usually reply, if I get a chance to reply, to tune into the anniversary episode. So, I guess I need to address those now. First, I've been approached by advertisers, and so far, I've turned them all down. I really like not having to worry about how they would feel about the content. One day, there may be a good fit, but so far, none. And I've been blessed enough professionally that the expense of the podcast is nowhere near a burden. I also think that monetizing it would deflate much of the satisfaction I get from doing it. I don't want to think of it as a job. I'm often asked about my theological leanings. I think I may have addressed this a couple of times, but in case I haven't, the quick summary is that I'm Protestant, having been raised in a household that essentially alternated between Presbyterian and Baptist. But, I try to keep all theological implications out of the episodes and focus just on the history. Having said that, we all have blind spots, and I'd be surprised if my beliefs didn't inform the episodes, somewhat. I've been asked once or twice to footnote everything and provide my references. I'm passing on that suggestion. I've written many academic articles where citing is an absolute must, and it slows down the process tremendously. It also makes it extremely boring. This is not an academic forum and I need to make it less dense instead of more. Also, when's the last time you heard something on the radio or watched an educational program that cited all of their sources, or even any of their sources? They don't, because it's a different format. Like I've mentioned in the past few anniversary episodes, I've been approached about turning the podcast into a book And the new update is, it's been a couple of different publishers. I consider that a great compliment. My short answer continues to be, not yet. For now, the same reasons as to why I've shunned advertisers, and I'm not footnoting apply. Maybe at some point in the future. Though now, with as many words as I've written, that task would either require multiple volumes, or intense editing. I've had a couple of friends and acquaintances who left their professions to pursue their passions, and they're generally very successful. But then, something changes, and their passions become just another profession, and the joy departs. So, for now, I'm having too much fun, and I don't want to change the secret sauce. Not to mention, I'd most likely drive an editor or publisher a bit crazy. I do get letters, really criticism, about why I use this term or that. Why, for example, especially early on in the podcast, I referred to the land inhabited by Abraham by many terms, just not Israel. I don't know if I ever made it obvious, but I really tried to avoid using the word Israel prior to the birth of Jacob, who would later be renamed Israel. The reasons should be obvious. Just in case it isn't, you shouldn't call it Israel prior to the birth of Israel. I sometimes use the word Levant, and a very few, but some, took issue with that, and the issue they took tended to center around a modern political, well, really terroristic use of the word. For the record, the Levant is a geographic region that is much bigger than the modern country of Israel and therefore much larger than ancient Israel. Depending on who you ask, and is generally true with very broad terms, it includes all or part of several modern countries including Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, and Turkey. Some even think it includes parts of Egypt, Libya, Greece, and Iraq. My use is generally confined to the boundaries I just listed that are also on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean, a word used in a geographic sense only. I'm trying to be accurate, but not terribly pedantic. And finally, the last question I'm frequently asked. Who am I? I have yet to disclose the answer. A few people that are extremely close to me know. And that's it. This podcast is not about me, and it's certainly not about my ego. But do know that I am degreed in the subject of history from a nationally ranked university on the topic. And I have a doctorate degree. Like I've mentioned before, I've been published academically, and my career has proven very rewarding. And that's enough from and about me. I hope you'll keep listening and I'll provide an update in another year or so. Join me next week, when I'll continue pushing through the book of Joshua. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcasts as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.